The title is The Fellowship of the Spirit Scorned. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of this price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. <clears throat> the young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval about, about three hours, and his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Now we have been studying, and I think I, I'll remind you, um, the men's group we've been going we're starting to go through a book by Dennis Johnson walking with Jesus through his word and I studied this material years ago and made a bunch of notes and I thought man I, I want to preach this you know about all these notes and so a lot of these thoughts have come from Dennis Johnson's book on acts out of not the not the study the book we were going to get for the men but it's another book he wrote and in our study, we've looked at the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as he, as he has worked in the early church. And the Spirit, remember in Acts chapter 2, is being poured out on the church, and everything that happened in Genesis chapter 11 is being reversed. In Genesis chapter 11, all the men gathered together, all the women gathered together in the plain of Shinar, and they are building a tower, they're building a temple, a city, for themselves, for their own names. And so God came down and judged them and sent them out into all different parts of the earth with, to form different nations with different tongues, with different languages. And now in Acts chapter 2, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the language of all the people. And so all the tribes and all the nations are being gathered back into one kingdom with one language that is the language of the gospel. And the early church sets the standard for us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We've been looking at the devotion of the church to the apostles' doctrine. And we've been looking at the fellowship and the breaking of the bread, the administration of the sacraments. Thank you, Randy, and thank you, Sabrina. And we've been thinking about the prayers. And so these are the things that the church in Acts are focused in on. In our last study, we looked also at the fellowship of the early church around finances. Remember, we talked about financial fellowship. And we said that 
the church, when we come together, we have, there's a financial price tag involved in helping each other out. We said that each member is left to own property. You don't have to sell it all and give it to one group of men, the elders, who then disperse it out to those in need. No, you get to keep your property. You can have your watch, you can have your car, you can have your, your property and your land. And it's left for you to pray. It's left for you to grow in maturity about how to use your time, use your prayers, and use your money to help those in need. Now we come to this last study, which I'm going to call the Fellowship of the Spirit Scorned. And we could title it the Incident of Ananias and Sapphira. It's an alarming incident. And there's three points I want to lay out in front of you. First, the nature of their sin. What's the nature of their sin? What did they do, really? Second, the severe judgment of their sin. They died on the spot. It's pretty severe. They don't get another chance. And third, the appropriate response to severe judgment of sin. Did you see what it was? It's fear. Fear. So let's look at the nature of their sin. We said the norm for the early church is not economic communalism. It's not economic collectivism. We don't go and sell everything and give it to one common purse so that just a few people have to grow in their ability to use money. I'm, you know, that, it, it sounds kind of good sometimes when I think about it. Why don't I just let all the elders take care of all the money issues and I'll just let them sweat it out and I'll just go do what I have to do and when I need something, I'll go ask them. Wouldn't that be great? But God doesn't leave it like that. Luke challenges us. He presses us into prayer. He presses us to read the Word. He presses us to go, okay, now, this person has a need. I don't have a whole lot of money, but I got some time. I don't have a whole lot of money, but I might have some time to go out and, and serve and paint and fix things and whatever, you see. And so we're pressed into Luke's plan of helping others. Now, the nature of the sin we come to here is that it's not Ananias refusing to relinquish control of their personal property to the apostles. It's not greed. It's not simply looking to gain the applause of other people. When Ananias and Sapphira sinned here in Acts chapter 5, they failed to recognize two important things. And this is the first one. They failed to recognize that where the church is, the Spirit of God is. And when you fail to recognize that the Spirit is with His people, you fail to recognize His presence. And second, they fail to recognize that where the Spirit of God is, the Spirit of God is holy. They scorned His presence. They scorned His knowledge that He is present and knows everything that's going on there. And they scorned His holiness. Now, the introduction to this fellowship of the Spirit scorned is in those wonderful verses of verses 32 through 35 where the church is selling their things in order to meet the needs of others. That's the introduction. The illustration that we're given of this fellowship of finances is in verses 36 through 37. And that's where we meet this man named Barnabas. <laughs> and Barnabas it's very important. Barnabas is, was named, his real name is Joseph. He's a Levite of Cyprian birth, the Bible tells us. 
But they called him Barnabas because he was so encouraging. And so they called him the son of encouragement. Well, this man, he goes and he sells a piece of property and he brings all the money and he lays it at the apostles' feet. Well, now we come to Ananias and Sapphira. We come to the incident of Ananias and Sapphira. And that's in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge, bringing a portion of it, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So, they laid it at the apostles' feet as if they laid all of it. Now, let's look for the intent of their hearts. Now, I think we can get to the intent of their hearts by comparing them to Barnabas. Barnabas sold a field that he owned. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property that they owned. Barnabas bought an amount of money and placed it at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira brought an amount of money and they placed it at the apostles' feet. The apostles recognized Barnabas in a special way. Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, they called him Barnabas. Surely that felt good. Surely the people loved Barnabas. And Luke leaves us to imagine maybe here that Ananias and Sapphira desired a nickname as well. (laughs) Did they not want to be maybe called Barnabas, Mr. and Mrs. Barnabas? I don't know. Maybe they did. But here's the difference. It's the intent of the heart. Listen to the words. The intention of Barnabas' heart was to serve others. His heart was to give all that he had sold to help others, while Ananias and Sapphira, the intent of their heart was to keep back some for themselves. The intention was to gain applause, keep back something for themselves, and still have the notoriety. In verses 2 and 3, the word is used, kept back. Again, it's used in verse 3. They kept back some of the price of the land. The word kept back is a Greek word, and it's used twice here. It's also used in Titus 2.10, and it means to embezzle. I asked my kids at the table the other day, I said, do y'all know what that means? Now, Evan Evan knew. But Selah's sitting there going, you know, and so, so here's the thing. When, and I'm going to tell you all this. This is, a, this, is, this is something for y'all to learn at home, mom and dad. When you say a word like embezzle and nobody knows what it means, you need to realize they don't know what that means. And then you need to describe what it means. And then that helps them to understand. So instead of defining words, sometimes it's better to describe them. So let's talk about what this means. And so we see this word is used in Joshua 7, 1 in the Septuagint. But I think this gets us going. Judas has said by John in John, he says that Judas used to pilfer the money bag. This is what it means. You know, the money bag was the disciples and Jesus' money. And Judas used to get the money bag when nobody was looking and pilfer through there, get a little bit out, and he used it for himself. It was their money, but he used some of it for himself. And this is what they're doing. They're pilfering. They're, they're taking something that doesn't belong to them. And so when we think about Achan in Joshua chapter 7, Achan secreted, I like that word, I don't ever say that much, but he secreted it away, some money or some things away that belonged only to God to use for, his own, for himself. So he took some of the things at the battle of the Jericho, 
when Joshua fit the battle of the Jericho, he went in and everything in the battle of the Jericho was devoted to God. Now, everything being devoted to God, that means that all the men, all the women, all the goods, all the, the, the gold, the silver, the clothes, everything is devoted to God. Now, in other battles, you could go out, maybe you could fight against AI, and not everything was devoted to God. So that means that they could take the spoil, they could take some gold, they could take the money, they could take the food that was there. But in Jericho, everything was devoted to God. And in, in, in Achan he decided to take some of the things that belonged only to God. He took not just one of the things devoted to God, but he took three things. He took a Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and gold weighing 50 shekels, and he put it under his tent. He acted in front of all Israel like it was all devoted to God. But those things were under his tent hidden away for later personal use. Achan, when he did this, he scorned God's omniscience. He shows contempt for God, thinking he can, of all things, deceive God. He would hold it back later for his own personal use, and he scorned God's holiness. He dared to touch the things that belonged only to God. And the result of Achan's scorn for God's omniscience and God's holiness is that not at first did he die, but it defiled the people of God. And so the next battle, here's Jericho, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, the walls fall down and everything, all that wonderful battle and wonderful victory. And they're going to go out against Ai, little, little, let me say it like this, little old Ai, little old Ai, going to go out, don't send a big contingency of soldiers against Ai because Ai's little old Ai. And so they go out there and guess what? They got their, they got their tongue, uh, tails between their legs and ran back and 30 something of them died. I can't remember how many, 36? Why did this happen? Joshua's going, why did this happen? And the Lord looks at him and says, there's sin in the camp, friend. There's sin in the camp. And so he went out and he throws the uh, Urim and the Thum and come to find out there's a guy who's sent in the camp. And they tell Achan to give glory to God. He stands up, he confesses what he did, he tells what he took. And guess what? Achan and his household had to be treated just like those things were to be treated. And so... Achan had to be stoned to death along with his family. He was burned with his family, and a huge heap of rocks were erected over he and his family. He had to be considered just like those things devoted to God. And for doing this, he was punished with death. Now, here's the question. Had Ananias really imitated Achan at this point? Did Ananias secret anything away from the Lord. Verse 4, chapter 5 says, While it remained unsold, Peter said to him, Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? It absolutely was. But the parallel is not going to break down. It's going to prove true. Because when Ananias claimed, when he brought that money and he put it in front of those disciples' feet, he was claiming in front of all of those people with the Spirit of the Lord on the inside of those people in the presence of the Spirit of God in his church. He was claiming to have given it all. And at that point, all the money belonged to the church and it belonged to God. And so at that moment, he was seeking to deceive. 
He was scorning the omniscience of God. He was scorning the holiness of God the same way Achan had done. And so for this, he gets immediate death. Peter says, why? Why? Ananias, has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. And then he said similar words to Sapphira. Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. So Ananias and Sapphira, just like Achan before, they dared to deceive the Holy One of Israel, and they fail to recognize that the Spirit of God is among the people of God. So that's their sin. Second, let's look at the severe judgment of their sin. What is the severe judgment of their sin? Well, immediately they die. That's pretty severe stuff. But what do we learn from it? And there's some wonderful things to learn from it. First of all, this judgment is a sign of the full and the final judgment to come. This judgment in Acts chapter 5 is a picture of what happens to all deceivers. It's a picture of what happens to all liars. It's a picture of what happens to all con artists. But if we back up to Acts chapter 3, we have a picture of the full and final blessing on the day when Jesus returns. And that is when Simon, I mean Peter and John go to the temple to pray in the ninth hour. Y'all know this story? And he looks at um, this man who can't walk, and he says... I'll read it a little bit to you, or I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it with my memorized King James, okay? Simon Peter, we're going to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. <laughs> and then he said, Silver and gold have I not, but what I have give I unto thee. Rise up and walk. And the man did it. That's a picture of the day of full and final blessing. On the day for, of judgment for the liar, they will be judged. On the day of judgment for the man who is in Christ, he will be fully healed. Do you have a backache? <laughs> do you have a back? I do. Every now and then. Do you have hurts in your neck? I do. We have many people who have lots of other hurts worse than that. All of it will be gone. No more sin. Full and final healing. No more disease. No more lameness. No more leprosy. No more distress. No more crying. What else do we learn? Well, we learn that today is not the day of full and final judgment. Therefore, in this day, as we studied this morning, as we go out onto the sea in ships to do our business, what are we going to face? We're going to face troubles. We're going to have affliction. Some of these afflictions that we have, God uses to discipline us. Some afflictions that we have, God uses to purify us. Some afflictions that we have, God uses to bring glory to Himself. Have you noticed that? Sometimes we're healed. Sometimes people are literally healed when they confess their sins. 
But today, deceivers and liars, they may appear to be prospering as well, while humble believers may endure severe plague. If you go read, if you go look at Job, (laughs) wow. Job speaks of wicked people prospering without any severe judgment. Have you noticed that? I think we should all go home and read Psalm 73. That's what I think. So in Psalm 73, here's this wicked guy. The Bible says he's fat and happy. That doesn't mean he's overweight. That means he's got everything he wants. He's got nice clothes. He's got nice necklaces. He's got all the things that money can buy. He's happy. He spurns God. He doesn't worry about doing God's will. And he is prospering. And then you've got this godly man who's going, is it in vain that I've been living for God? Because, dude, I am plagued every second of the day. Have you done? Have you been there? Plagued every second of the day? (laughs) And so he is about... If we went, someday we need to preach a sermon on this. But he's about to say stuff he shouldn't say. And then he puts his hand over his mouth because he goes to church. Now, this is my rendition, okay? He goes to, into the sanctuary. And when he's in the sanctuary, he sees that the man who's prospering without God is on slippery places. And he says he's going to slide straight into destruction. You see. And you can go in there and he talks about himself being um, like, a, like a bull without his mind in the right place. And God corrects him. And God shows him that he's gracious. And God shows him that he's guiding him all the way to glory. The same thing is said in Luke 16 where there's a rich man in Lazarus. Y'all know, isn't there like a veggie tale song where it says the rich man, rich man's living behind in the gated community? Isn't that a song? The gated community is the place I want to be. The gated community, you know, it's about the rich man. And the rich man, he lives sumptuously, eats wonderful food, he wears purple clothes, he lives behind the gates, and he walks out, he walks by the poor man's laying on the road there beside his house, and he goes and does his business and never says anything to Lazarus. I think he does know his name. And then Lazarus, we know that Lazarus has wounds, dogs are licking his wounds, he's hoping for the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table. Story ends. One's in Abraham's bosom, one's across this big chasm in torment. And we see that the one who prospered in this life is in torment. And the one who didn't have very much at all is in heaven. Well, finally, here the last thing we learn is the Holy Spirit is working in Christ's church. This is something we need to think about. The Spirit of God is grieved over our sin. The Spirit of God is grieved over immorality. The Spirit of God is grieved over our anger. Grieved over deception and lying. And most of the time, people who are in church are not struck down instantly. It has happened. I'm not saying it hasn't happened after the, script, after the Scriptures were written. It can happen. But why doesn't it happen all the time? Well, I mean, don't you know why? We would already be dead. Why does it not happen all the time? Because today's the day of God's great long suffering. Second Peter three nine says the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God is long suffering towards sinners. God is giving men and women time to repent. 
But before we go to the last point, we say, I want to say this. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap eventually. In 2015, I had several women come to me at different times, and I will not forget this time in my life. This one woman came to me, and she said, this person got away with this. And another person came and said, this person got away with this. And another time, another one came and said, this person got away with this. And I finally said to all of them, I said, nobody gets away with anything. Maybe for a while, but not forever. God is not mocked. And we need to come to God for mercy. Now, third, what's the appropriate response to this severe judgment of sin? Did you see it in those verses that we read? In Acts chapter 5, verse 5, it says, it says, And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and he breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard it. In verse 13, or verse 11, it says, Great fear seized the whole church. In verse 13, it says, No one dared to join with the church, even though they were highly regarded by all the people. There was fear. And this is an appropriate response. Time after time, you remember when angels come at, at Christmas, at the, during the Christmas songs uh, or Christmas uh, narratives, and they say, do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid, Joseph. Do not be afraid. Bring you tidings of great joy. Well, you know, there's fear and there's joy always at the same time. This is one of the things that Calvin likes to bring out. Calvin likes to say, he wants, to, he wants you to screw your hands to both ends of the cross. One says joy, one says fear. And he doesn't want you to let go of either one of them. In, in Psalm chapter 5, verse 7, this is one of the verses that he took us to as we've been reading. Evan and I have been reading through Calvin together, and he says this, But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness I will enter your house. By your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. There's the joy part. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. So there's reverence, there's the bowing, and there's the joy. Think about the psalm, about the prophet in Isaiah 6. He's going to pieces and he leaves, leaves walking out of God's presence ready to serve. <laughs> well, I mean, surely things got a little bit better than feeling like he was falling apart. But both of these things are being held together at the same time. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, gives a great expression of this in a conversation between Susan and Mr. Beaver. Have you all heard this before? (laughs) Mr. Beaver says to Susan, Aslan is a lion. And he's the lion. He's the great lion. Ooh, Susan says, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, she said. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the the king, I tell you. And that's exactly what we're up against here. When we come to God's house, when we live our lives, we live in the presence of a holy God, an omniscient God who knows everything. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Is he safe? He's not exactly safe. People have died in Jesus' presence. But you know what? He's good. He's a good king. And I'll, I'll say it with Mr. Beaver. He's the king, I tell you. He's good. 
And so you and I, when we come to church, we need to come to church understanding these. Th- this is in the Bible. We need to learn to be fearful. We need to learn to be full of joy, hating all of our sin, loving Jesus Christ with all of our heart, and don't stop doing that till you meet him in the air. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for teaching us. We thank you that we can look at things squarely in the eye, turn away from sin, learn that there's a day of judgment coming, and we need to be on the right side of it. We need to be those who will be finally blessed and healed. We need to be those who are in Jesus Christ. We need to be those who are full of reverence, full of joy. Teach us always to hold both of these in in, in our minds and in our hearts as we worship you in our homes, privately with our families, and here, even here, at Good Shepherd. We pray that you are glorified in this day. Help us in this in this last the benediction and as we sing our last response, help us finish off this time uh, enjoying every second. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.